Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Thank you. This is the first congregation I have visited that I've had a round of applause. <laughs> and that's before I've said anything. <laughs> one, of the, uh, one of the tasks of the, the moderator uh, as he or she goes around the, the churches is to try and emphasize the sense of family among the UF congregations. And Jan and I have been uh, trying to do that in two ways. One is by always praying for the congregation highlighted in the prayer union booklet for that particular day. Today it's Crawfoot, and uh, we'll be praying for them later. And also by mentioning any connections or links that we've had with the congregation that we're visiting in the past. Now you're obviously relatively new members of the United Free Church family. But I've been here a few times over the past years, once at a service, once at a training day, and once or twice at, at, at meetings. And I've always had a warm welcome. Uh, Ian and Helen Macquarie we've known for a long time through the Carberry Festival, and uh, uh, Cassie McLean through Jan's sister, uh, Leslie. Actually, I don't know your minister very well, but I'm sure you do, because he's been here a long time. Um, but I was fortunate to have his, uh, his wife as vice convener of the denomination's youth committee for most of the time when I was convener. And basically what that meant was I chaired the meetings and Elizabeth did all the work. <laughs> She's not contradicting me, you'll notice. <laughs> um, but being in that role also meant I got to meet many of the young folk throughout the denomination. And I've been very impressed with the faith and the commitment of the young people and indeed the young adults that this church has helped to nurture. And so, on behalf of the General Assembly, as I bring you their greetings and best wishes, I'd like to thank you for the way that you have embraced and indeed strengthened the UF Church. You are one of our largest congregations, and you could have been quite self-sufficient and kept yourselves to yourselves. But so many of you have contributed generously in different ways, some of which we've been hearing this morning, to the work of God's church. May God bless Bruce and Elizabeth, Karen and Graham, and indeed all of you, as you continue to make Jesus known in this community and beyond. And now we will read from God's Word. It's Matthew chapter 18 at verse 21, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king 
who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had a man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. We're going to sing again, Mission Praise 1280, Jesus Messiah. Justice and forgiveness. Justice and forgiveness are, are two topics which have been much discussed this past week following the awful murders in Christchurch, New Zealand, and following the, the charges made upon one soldier who is accused of murder during the Bloody Sunday uh, events in Northern Ireland. It's a subject, or forgiveness is a subject that I want to, to deal with this morning. And there are a number of questions. What is forgiveness? Why do we need it? How should we give it? How should we receive it? Who should be forgiven? Who shouldn't be forgiven? Now, they're big questions, the answers to which would take much longer to unpack than the, the time we have available today. But the Bible speaks a lot about forgiveness, both the forgiveness of God and human forgiveness. And what I hope to do this morning is to share a little of my understanding of the Bible's teaching on this issue. First of all, the Bible makes it clear that we all need forgiveness. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, says Paul in Romans 3. And I think that a casual 
observation of humanity supports this. Now, whether we understand sin as breaking the rules or acting against the law of love or turning away from God or simply failing to live up to our human potential, the Bible makes it clear that we're all guilty and deserve punishment. Society is troubled when a crime goes unpunished. You just need to think of the, the popularity of programs like Crime Watch, which attempt to bring criminals to justice. It seems that this demand for justice is deeply rooted in us. You know, we can see it in, uh, in children who are forever complaining. It's not fair. It's not fair. I wonder how the children next door are getting on sharing the sweets. You know, well, somebody's saying he's had more than me. We'll need to go back to, to Elizabeth, who obviously has a, a ministry of Haribo uh, <laughs> that she exercises. But uh, perhaps it's not surprising that we, we have this feeling for justice embedded in us especially if we're made in the image of God, a just God, one who requires justice. So, how can justice for sin be satisfied except by punishment of the sinner? But all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death, says the Bible in Romans 6, 23. So God, in his mercy, takes the punishment himself in the person of Jesus. God's mercy and God's justice meet in the cross at Calvary. And this is the heart of the Christian gospel. Christ died for our sins, as 1 Corinthians says. Or, as Paul put it in a bit more detail in Romans 3, verses 23 to 25, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But by the free gift of God's grace, all are put right with him through Christ Jesus, who sets them free. God offered him so that by his blood, he should become the means by which people's sins are forgiven through their faith in him. When we put our trust in Jesus, we receive forgiveness, not only for past sins, but for all sins, past, present, and future. We're given immunity from punishment. The case against us is closed. Now, this kind of forgiveness is comprehensive. It's a kind of legal forgiveness, which is a once and for all removal of all barriers to heaven. And this eternal forgiveness is available to all. But it's not automatic. It's dependent on our repentance and faith in Jesus. 
It's offered as a free gift, but we have to accept it or claim it through faith. There are many different images of God in the Bible, and the one which possibly best describes the God who offers this kind of legal forgiveness is that of God the judge. But once we've received this forgiveness, when we're born again into the family of God, God becomes more of a loving father to us than a merciful judge. Now, of course, we still sin. We break God's laws. We act unlovingly. We turn away from God. We fall short of what we should be. And we still need forgiveness. But it's a different kind of forgiveness. More of a family forgiveness than a legal forgiveness. It's like the forgiveness we experience in our own families. If a daughter, for example, damages a precious piece of furniture and then lies about it, her relationship with her parents is affected. But her status within the family is not threatened. She's still the daughter, just as we are still in the family of God when we sin. But the basis for trust has been damaged and family forgiveness is needed when she owns up. And that's the kind of forgiveness that John wrote about in 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now notice that forgiveness is something that God gives rather than something that we necessarily feel. It's not something that's rooted in our emotions. So often people struggle with feelings of guilt and shame even after confessing their sins to God. Anne was one such person. She could never forget the shameful things she had done when she was young. As a Christian, she had repented and asked God's forgiveness over and over again. But she could never forgive herself. Imagine she finally died and stood before God. Oh, I'm surprised you want to see me, she says to God, after what I've done. Oh, you mean what happened in 1963, replied God. Yes, she wept. I'll never forgive myself. That's a pity, said God. I forgave you in 1964 when you asked me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's what we're going to sing about in our next hymn, Mission Praise 181. God forgive my sin in Jesus' name. Come to God in prayer. Loving and merciful God, we come before you now and we confess our sins and our failures. We confess our self-centeredness, our rashness, and our lack of insight. 
when we are more concerned with things to do with me, 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 and when we don't compute the situation others around us are in, which require our compassion, our help, our mercy, and our love. We confess that we have missed opportunities to serve you because we didn't look like the look of the people who needed us. We confess that we have judged others by the clothes they wear, their intelligence or lack of intelligence, the color of their skin, their poor language skills or dialects, their attitude to life, which may be grates against our own. We confess that there have been times when we've been shunned or forgotten about people around us who suffer chronic illness and pain, dreadful ongoing mental pain, those who are in crisis or pretty close to it in their Christian faith. We confess that there are times when we have tried to hide away from you and remained in our own comfort zone. And we confess that we have contributed to the mess our world is in by choosing to do, say, or try nothing. We plead that you would make us more practical, more used, more prayerful, more active in the ways and opportunities of your kingdom here on earth. Merciful God, forgive us our sins. Have mercy upon us and may your Holy Spirit open our minds, our hearts and our souls and renew us in a clarity of vision and a hope that will make us worthy to be called your people. We pray today for the world spread out before us, a world full of uncertainty, situations in need of healing, people living in horrendous circumstances. This morning we just quietly bring before you Christ Church in New Zealand. Draw near to all those who have lost loved ones, to those who have been injured and their loved ones, to all those who call Christchurch home, wherever they are in the world right now. Lord, nearer at home, we pray for our sister church in Crawfoot, for the work that they hope to begin in the summer to their sanctuary, and for sufficient funds to cover the costs. We pray too for their outreach plans, which God has been preparing them for, for to commence, and for the youth work project and the areas that you want them to continue with in your name. Heavenly Father, hear all our prayers and create in us a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within us. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The forgiveness that we've been thinking about so far is that between us 
and God, where forgiveness is very much a, a one-way street coming from God to us. But what about forgiveness in human relationships, where sometimes we need to forgive and sometimes we need to be forgiven? Who should make the first move? The sinned against or the sinner? Should we forgive everyone or only those who ask to be forgiven? And do you need to feel forgiveness before you can truly forgive? What happens to people who refuse to forgive? Well, remember Peter thought that he was doing pretty well by asking Jesus if he should forgive uh, seven times. And Jesus' answer, uh, 70 times seven, says there should be no end to our forgiveness. Uh, Oscar Wilde once said, always forgive your enemies. Nothing annoys them so much. Now, I'm not sure that Jesus would agree with Wilde's reason for forgiving. So what do we do if we are wronged or offended by someone? Go in the huff and wait for an apology? Well, not according to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If we have been wronged or sinned against, we should make the first move. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, teach them, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, Jesus answered Peter's question about forgiveness by telling the parable of the unforgiving servant, which is an illustration of the, the converse or the kind of opposite of some of Jesus' more famous pronouncements on the subject of forgiveness, like forgive others and you will be forgiven. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Or as in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When we ask God to forgive us in the same way or to the same extent that we forgive others. It's as if the inflow of God's forgiveness into us depends on the outflow of forgiveness from us to other people. It's a continuous process. God's forgiveness flows into us and must continue its journey from us to others so that more of God's forgiveness can flow into us and so on. When we don't forgive others, we cause a blockage and are unable to keep receiving God's forgiveness for ourselves. So when we refuse to forgive, we harm ourselves. But should we forgive everyone or only those who ask? Well, some say only those who ask for forgiveness. And they argue that God doesn't ask us to do something that he doesn't do himself. But while God's love is unconditional, God's forgiveness is conditional. His legal forgiveness is conditional on faith. 
His family forgiveness is conditional on confession. He doesn't ask us to forgive others unconditionally. Many years ago, I had a, a teenage boy from, from Wishaw at a youth camp. He was the son of the UF minister in Wishaw, the Reverend Jimmy Alexander. And this boy, when he grew up, became a surgeon. His name was Spence. He got married, had a family, moved out to South Africa, and was murdered there in 1997. When questioned by reporters, his father said, during the trial, the 15-year-old laddie said he liked stabbing Spence. We're Christians, and we believe in the words of the Lord's Prayer, which says our sins will be forgiven as we forgive others. But if they don't see anything wrong with what they did and don't repent, how can we forgive them? Now, I've got a fair degree of sympathy with that view. And yet others would say, well, the fact that God makes repentance a condition for saving a person doesn't give us license to withhold forgiveness. You see, God can judge a person's intentions because he knows what's in a person's heart. We don't. We are not God. We're not the judge. And for us to play God by refusing to offer forgiveness is an act of judgment on our part, something that Jesus warns us against. And of course, Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, asked that those who were stoning him be forgiven. Now, in both cases, forgiveness was unconditional. Those around the cross weren't asking for forgiveness, and neither were those stoning Stephen. And so to wait until we're asked for forgiveness may mean we never get an opportunity to forgive. In all this, we must realize that God never asks us to do the impossible. Were it beyond our ability to forgive, Jesus would never have directed us to do it. Many of you will be familiar with the, the story, The Hiding Place, by Corrie ten Boom, who was a Dutch Christian who had helped hide Jews from the Nazis and had survived a Nazi concentration camp. After the war, she traveled widely, speaking about her experiences and her faith. And one day when she was speaking in Germany about forgiveness, a man came up to her at the end and put his hand out to shake hers, and she suddenly realized that he had been one of the guards who had ill-treated them very badly in that concentration camp, and she found it very difficult to shake that man's hand. But eventually she did, and this is what she said. She said, when he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. 
the love itself. And that's what we're going to sing about in our next hymn, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.